That is just amazing. Wow. Here's what I want you to do right now. Those words, I am a child of God. I don't want you to shout it. You know, I don't want us to all sound in unison nice and loud. I want you to just say it to yourself at breath level. I am a child of God. Go ahead and say it. I am a child of God. Say it again. One more time. It's not he is a child of God or she is a child of God. I am a child of God. And today we come together to worship and serve the ultimate father, our father in heaven. So let's sing to him like he's in the room, because he is. Let's stand together. Blessed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars remain to worship, so alive. I can see your heart in everything you made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so alive. So alive. 
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. With your heart and lead me in your love. 
Heavenly Father, dear perfect Father, dear loving Father, we praise you and we thank you for the breath, Lord, to praise you and thank you. God, we thank you that we can stand here today before you and know that we are loved by you with a perfect love. 
Lord, we thank you for chasing us down. We thank you for never giving up on us, Lord. We thank you for, for loving us even before we deserve to be loved, loved, Lord, and for giving us a second chance, Lord, and for giving us a chance to walk this life with you. Lord, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. We do communion every week. We do it as a way, for one, of being reminded of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Every week, it's the reminder of the gospel that saves us. It's also an opportunity to let anybody here who doesn't know Jesus know what Jesus did for us, that he died so that we could have eternal life. The tables are located uh, two in the back and two in the front. And in just a moment, we'll move to those tables, and you'll take bread, and you'll take cup while you're there. When you do that, I want to encourage you to do what we started with. I'd like you to walk to that table, and as you're standing there and taking that bread and taking that cup, would you just, under your breath, whisper the words, I am a child of God. Reclaim once again that beautiful truth that he is your Father in heaven, your perfect Father in heaven, who loves you totally and completely. So every week for communion during this year, we've been looking at some soul care questions, questions that just kind of get down deep and ask us sometimes some hard questions. And today I think is, I don't know, one of the tougher ones. You read the words, do I grumble and complain constantly? Now what may be even harder is to ask somebody else in your family later today, tell me, do I grumble and complain constantly? You may be looking at that and saying, well, the operative word is constantly. I take a little break once a day, but overall, yeah, I grumble and complain a lot. What does grumbling and complaining say about the condition of our souls? For one thing, it's an expression of ingratitude. It's a way of saying what I've got isn't good enough. What I, should, I should have received more. I should have received better. And God's kind of ripping me off. And so on one hand, it's, just, it's a way of demonstrating that our gratitude and our thankfulness for all of God's gifts isn't quite there. I think the other thing it demonstrates in us is a sense of discontentment, that we've not come to the place like the Apostle Paul to be able to say, in whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. He didn't just say, I am content. He said, I have learned to be content. It takes some soul training to come to a place of contentment in one's life, to be able to just rest in that place of saying, this is good. Do you grumble and complain constantly? I just want to think through your words. Maybe, maybe there are places you don't grumble and complain. You're golfing, you're fishing, you're shopping. Ah, we're, the, we're good there. But when you're at work, everybody knows that if they want a good gripe and moan session, you're the person to come to. And it's kind of funny. I know certain stores that when I'm in the checkout line, I know I'll hear grumbling at that place. They're just kind of marked by it, grumbling and complaining constantly. There is a place for some discontentment in our life, right? And we talked about it last week. A longing for heaven is a discontentment with here. In fact, to some degree, you should look at life and realize, I'm not really content with here. 
this world is not my home. There should be a bit of a, mm, I can't wait to get out of here. But not in an ungrateful way. Not in a complaining way. Just a deep soul longing way. So, take the question with you this week. Take it with you to work. Take it with you wherever you go. Ask yourself again and again, do I grumble and complain constantly? And if so, why? What's at the root of that? We want to continue some with the theme we had last week of of heaven and that longing for home. And so after we've spent some time in silence with the question, uh, we'll go to the communion stations and we'll hear a song from my heaven playlist, one that talks about that desire for finally being in the presence of Jesus. Own the words, I am a child of God. I want to dance on high 
<clears throat> the message of that song gives us the, really the beautiful picture of the difference between grumbling about what I have that I don't like, complaining about the way life is that I can't stand, and longing for something more in a way that just expresses a heart that says, God, I just I want to be with you. I want to be with you forever. So hopefully those will, will play out well for you this week. Our servers are coming to receive the offering, and the links arrived earlier today. Did you get a chance to look at it? I sure chance? did, yeah. Yeah, you notice there's a lot of music on a there. A lot of music. And <laughs> let me tell you, that second, or the, the first playlist on there, the second link, uh, is to the camp playlist for all of our camp songs. It's going to be an awesome year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've already, I mean, I've been watching the question marks already getting their practice in, and it looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. So make sure that you uh, get on, get into the links, click that playlist, download it, and just start memorizing those songs because it's going to be a, a great week. Yeah. So. Both, those, both those playlists are on Spotify, so if you're over 45, talk to a 10-year-old. They'll tell you how to get that all done, okay? Yeah. What's going on with students this week? You so, got kind of a little mix. Yeah, it's it's getting to that crazy time of summer. So what we're going to do, uh, since today is Father's Day and we have a bunch of camp stuff coming up, we are actually not going to have revive today or next Sunday. All right, so okay. we will not have revive for two Sundays. Uh, again, going into camp this Wednesday, refuge will be going to the Herzbergers down in Wilmington, and we are uh, going to go have some fun on the water. If you need information about that, you need to get signed up for Remind. So if you have a junior hire, again, this is how we're sending all of our information out from now on. Uh, So if you have a junior hire or a high schooler, you need to go out to the Welcome Center today, and there's a sheet of paper with instructions on how to get signed up for Remind. We have two different ones, one for Refuge, one for Revive, so you can get like up-to-the-minute updates as to what we're doing. At 12 o'clock today, it's already set. There will be a reminder sent with the address and all the information for this upcoming Wednesday. It'll be Wednesday afternoon, uh, and it's kind of like a come-and-go-as-you-please kind of thing. So it, you don't need to be there the whole time or anything like that, but we're just going to have some fun uh, down on the river. So, yeah. And that sheet you mentioned that's at the Welcome Center is also found in the links today. You can bring that over, Sherry. Quick, Sherry. Just go back. Are you there, Sherry? She took a nap. She went to get coffee. Is it frozen? There we go. <laughs> all right. Good. Right down there, let's see, uh, instructions, yeah. instructions here under student stuff. Yeah, so you can go ahead and so click that there. get all signed right. up there. And yep. you're still signing up for Omega, so you got all that going. Quest donations, most of that was due today. Today's not done, so you can still bring it. But by, by next week, we're looking for lots of fresh fruit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Really good. I think that's it, except that, yeah, like Quest is a week away. Yeah. And uh, you will find some uh, wonderful heightened uh, energy today around as yeah. as people are getting ready for all that goes into the buzz that. is so, real. So the yeah. buzz the buzz <laughs> is real, and it's going to be fun to be able to do that in the gym this year instead of under a tent. I mean, yeah. we love the tent, but we also love air conditioning. So that that'll be a that'll be a very yeah. very good thing. That'll, that I'm feeling some some leaders are going to make it a little further this year than they did in the past, so. especially if God turns up this 98 <laughs> degrees like like He seems to want to. Yeah. So. All right, we're going to transition to our teach, and to do that, uh, I've got a message for you here. After every catch he makes on the baseball field, he'll look to you to make sure you're smiling. 
When her friends make the fourth grade pep squad, but she doesn't, she'll look to you for comfort. When she feels misunderstood by her brothers and sisters, she'll look to you for understanding. They'll never stop looking to you. When she walks down the aisle on that magical day, she'll look to you to bring peace to her anxious heart. When he plays his first concert with his new band, he'll look to your face in the crowd. When she makes choices that will break your heart, she'll eventually look to you for forgiveness and restoration. They'll never stop looking to you. And you can never stop. You must never stop looking to God. They don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be authentic and offer them Jesus anyway. They need you to try your very best. And even if you fail, they need to see you rise up again. They need you to follow hard after Jesus as best you can because they will never stop looking to you. Son, I'm writing these words to you because you are and always have been the legacy I've wanted to leave. It's your moment. It's your chance to leave a legacy of loving Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. They'll never stop looking to you. And that's the way God created it to be. They'll never stop looking to you, and that's the way God created it to be. God gave us human fathers, granted imperfect fathers, human fathers, in order that we might get an idea of who our Heavenly Father is and how our Heavenly Father acts. We're in a series right now uh, on answering questions that you've turned in, turned in over the last couple of months, and uh, some of those questions had to do with parenting. So I thought, what a perfect day to spend some time talking about some parenting questions, and in particular, uh, questions that were addressed to, to dads and, and how I dad. People like, you know, so how did you dad your kids? I looked at your kids, I kind of liked the product. How'd you do that? What, what's that all about? And so we're going to spend some time there today. I, I got to tell you that um, realistically, we can, um, we, can, we can influence our children uh, very, very positively, right? I mean, we can do our very best. You, you can be a borderline perfect parent. You can do it all right, according to every book you've ever read. And you can still raise a child that becomes an axe murderer. Right? Some of you know that you can as well have the worst parent on earth. Neglectful. One that abandons you. One that, that shouldn't, shouldn't have been permitted to be a parent. And you turn out amazing. And so you might look and go, why try? Why be a good parent? Bad kids happen. Why not be a bad parent? Good kid might happen. 
Does our parenting influence anything? Well, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. I think what we find is that whether we parent well or parent poorly, the person who is the child of that parent still has the freedom to choose the direction they will go. They still have the freedom to choose right or wrong. The way you were parented does not destine you for greatness or doom you for failure. It gives you an opportunity. But ultimately, ultimately, it's between you and God as to the path you choose to take. And so, to some degree, I want to take a little pressure off parents today and say, uh, we are imperfect, we're going to make mistakes. Best thing we can do is apologize when we make mistakes. And I want the person who, who either did not have a great parent or, you know, or feels like they're not being a great parent right now to know that that person, that child, still has to make the decision as to how they will walk with God. There's a verse in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. People read that verse and they go, so if I do it all right, perfect, we'll come out the other end of the assembly line. Now, Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are statements on the way life generally works. More often than not, if you train up a child in the way they should go, they're going to come out well on the other end of the assembly line. But sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. So what God is calling us to do as parents is to do our very best. But to realize still, as children of whatever kind of parent you had, a phenomenal parent or, quite honestly, a horrible parent, you still have responsibility for your life choices. You still have responsibility for the person that you're going to become. We can never point to our parents as the excuse for why we're lousy. Does that make sense? We can, we can never just look and say, well, if, if it had been different, I would be different. We still have the freedom to choose how we will turn out. So, dads, you play a huge role. A huge role in the way your kid is going to turn out. You do. You have great impact. And, and I thought I'd share with you some things that either I did or I tried to do. And in fact, you, I've got three kids here today. You can interview each of them, talk to them and find out, did he do it, didn't he do it? Well, was it good, was it bad? Um, whatever. So the first thing every dad has the responsibility to do. You are the promoter of the family identity. You're the promoter of the family identity. Dad, it's your responsibility to basically say, this is what it means to be a beaker. This is what it means to be a miller. This is what it means to be an Aubrey. This is what it means to be a pap. This is what we look like. You are the primary promoter of the family identity. That's not something that you abdicate to anyone else. You're the one helping your child to understand what your family is all about. I looked at Two different people in the Bible that were promoters of family identity. One very positive, the other not so much. Noah, in the Bible, was a fantastic promoter of family identity. We read in Genesis chapter 6 that the world was as bad as the world has ever been. The world was so bad that the Bible says, God said, I should never have done this in the first place. I should never have created human beings. It says, God regretted created human beings. But he looks down and he says, But there's this one guy down here, and he finds grace in my eyes, and I will rescue him. And he'll he'll be he'll be the restart button. We restart with him. 
And we restart with the boat, and we restart with his family, and we restart with some selected animals, and we're going to start all over again. And the Bible tells us that it took 120 years to build that boat. I mean, my goodness, it took us, what, several months to build this thing? It felt like eternity. It took a long, long time to build that boat. And he has three adult children. And those three adult children help him to build the boat. And those three adult children, along with their wives, get on the boat. Now, the whole flow of the culture was going this way, like the Niagara River, feet above the Niagara Falls. Hard and fast, going this way. And here's Noah and his family. And they're, they're, just, they're swimming upstream, right? They're swimming against a very, very, very hard current. Do you not think somewhere around 65, one of the kids said to the other, I think Dad might be nuts. <laughs> do you think this is crazy? Do you think at least one of those kids didn't think... I just want to do what everybody else is doing. There was something that Noah instilled in his family that says, this is what it means to be part of the family of Noah. In fact, a couple of times in that passage it says, Noah did exactly as the Lord commanded. There was no question how we act in this family. Let's go to the opposite side. A few chapters later in the Bible, there's a man named Lot. And Lot is a guy who likes to live right over here. He's always standing on the edge. Oh, he's not going to completely reject God, but he's going he's to teeter out as far as he can. When he breaks with his uncle Abram and heads to a new place to live, he goes down to the valley and it says he pitches his tent toward Sodom. He decides, I'm facing toward sin. I'm facing toward this sinful place. It's okay. We'll be all right. We'll be all right living. We can do this. We don't don't have to run away. We We can live right on the edge. The next thing we see in the book, he's not living with his tent pitched toward Sodom. He's sitting in the city gates. When angels come and visit him and say, get out of town now. This place is going to be destroyed. The men of the town say, have them out here. We're going to have our way with them. What does Lot say? Take my daughters instead. Over my dead body, would I say, take my daughter instead? But here's this guy, right? That's okay to live out here, right out here, right out here. It's okay right out here. We read that after he leaves the city and the city is burned down and he's gone, his daughters are upset. They're like, what are we going to do? There's no man around and we're never going to have children. And it's Sunday morning, keeping it G, okay? They basically say, there's a guy present and his name is Dad. And they get drunk. He, they get him drunk and children come into the family. I think his daughters had learned the fam- family identity. His daughters had learned, this is where we live. Right out here. Are you going to be Noah? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He obeyed God completely. Are you going to say, I like a little bit of God, but it's really fun right out here. I like my tent pitched towards Sodom. I like sitting at the city gate. I like having it both ways. I like a little God and a little of the other as well. Dad, you get the privilege of helping your family to understand who we are. What is important to us and how What we do aligns with what we believe. That's dad. That's dad's role. 
that's what we're all about. You can look at just this morning. This morning your family got up and you had a decision to make on Father's Day. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do? I'll tell you what, in my family growing up, this was a piece of our family identity. We never, ever asked on Sunday, so what are we going to do this morning? Never. And now we went to one of those churches. We also didn't ask that Sunday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night. You know, we were there all the time. But in our family, unless there was an appendage laying on the ground, severed from your body, you could pretty much count on, we were going to be at church. That was part of our family identity. We didn't come up with competing events. This was important to us. So when you woke up this morning and y'all asked dad, because it's his day, what are we going to do today? Was it just kind of given we don't even have to ask dad what we're going to do today? We know what we do on Sunday morning. Or did someone say, well, he'll probably want to go to church and the rest of the family went, <laughs> kidding me, right? Are we forming our family's identity by our actions? By our words and our actions, do, does our family know who we are? And dads, do they know that we follow Jesus? You know, some of you, your, your spouses will make that statement from time to time. I want you to be the spiritual leader of our family. This is what it means right here. This is what it means. It means that, that you're living in such a way that the family knows we follow God. And they don't kind of giggle if a God thing comes up because dad would never want to do that. Are you kidding me? Really? We get to be the promoter, the promoter of the family identity. What else do we do as dads? Well, we know what our primary love is. And our family knows what our primary love is. And our primary love should really come down to two things, right? Look to Abraham. Abraham, this wonderful, this, this basically father of our faith, Abraham. Abraham comes to this point that, as I even talk about it, you're going to scribble down questions to include in next week's series, right? next week's sermon. Because this whole idea that God said, take your son, your only son, and take him to an altar and sacrifice him, when you hear that, you go, what's up with that? What is up with that? And I really believe part of what was up with that is God wanted to prove, not to God, God wanted to prove to Abraham himself that he was totally and completely devoted to the Lord his God. There was nothing, absolutely nothing in the world that stood in the way of his relationship with God, even to the point of his saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my child. Now, we also know from Hebrews that it said he knew God could raise him from the dead. He knew God that well. He knew God that well. He loved God so much that nothing could come in the way of his relationship with God. The primary focus of Abraham's love was his God the Father. And you know what the other primary focus of his love was? His wife, Sarah. He was in love with this woman. They were together for 100 years. That's a long time to be married, right? They were together for a long time. And we see along the way, I mean, they had a rather tumultuous relationship. There are times that Abraham does some stuff that you kind of shake your head, right? But there are also times that he does stuff that says, I love you more. I love you more than anything else. We live in kind of a mixed up time that, that parents think that their primary love should be for their, for their child and the spouse is kind of secondary. And you know the problem with that kind of thinking? Someday the kids are going to move out 
And guess who's going to be left? The two of you. And you kind of open your eyes and go, huh, what you doing here? I forgot you were even here. It's amazing the security that comes to a set of children when they know their parents love each other. And it's incredible the insecurity that they experience when they're always wondering who's going to move out next week. Who's going to be gone? Primary relationships. The relationship with God the Father. And the relationship with your spouse. Those are huge. And we find every possible way to communicate that. So you're the promoter of the family identity. Your primary focus of your love is your God and your wife. Third, there is tremendous power in your touch. I'd love you just some time to do a survey of the hand of God in the Bible. The hand of God is a creating hand. It's a protecting hand. It's a tender loving hand. It's a providing hand. So many things are said about the hand of God. Our hands are an expression of the hand of God. What do your hands say to your child? How do you use your hands to express incredible love for your child? What do you do with your hands? You know, as we look in the Bible, time and time again, people are given a blessing. A blessing always included the touch of a hand. It always came with the touch of a hand, with saying, I'm giving this to you. What does your touch say to your child? Maybe you grew up in one of those families. I did, okay, I'm, I'm admitting it. Grew up in one of those families that if, that if my dad's hand went like this, we all went like this. Or when your hand goes like this, does your kid come running? Because they, they, they assumed, of course, you were going to give them a hug. What does your hand say to your child? Touch speaks volumes. You know it in your own marriage relationship. When we stop touching, something's going on. Touch speaks volumes to a child, even a 26-year-old daughter. When's the last time your kid crawled up in your lap? That's a blast. That's a, that's a way of expressing love. Just express love through the power of touch. Dad, you're the person who sees in us what we do not see in ourselves. You're the one that looks at us and says, huh, you don't see it, but I do. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king. And he goes to the house of Jesse and says, bring your boys, bring your boys, one of them. I got to anoint one of them. And so, and so Jesse brings the boys into the house, and they're there, and Eliab shows up, and Samuel's like, this is the one chiseled perfect look at the crown will go just right on him and god says you're looking at all the wrong stuff it's not about appearance it's about the heart and, and so it's like eliab step aside and oldest don't like to step aside and then abinadab abinadab you know he no not the one shama nope not the one goes through all the kids and and god keeps saying nope 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 and then you know finally in exasperation samuel says got any others and, and the passage tells us that Jesse says, well, the youngest is out tending sheep. Do you realize in that passage he doesn't even refer to him by name? The youngest is out tending sheep. 
Jesse did not have a dream for his son as this kid could be king. He didn't see him that way. He brought in the other seven. Eh, someone's got to do the sheep. Certainly the youngest. Let's just leave him out there. The nameless one. Let's just leave him out there. Now the interesting thing is, that does not seem to have impacted David's relationship with God at all. Some of us, we look at the relationship we had with our fathers and we say, how can I have a great relationship with my heavenly father when I did not have a great relationship with my earthly father? Do you know what David's name means? Beloved. And in psalm after psalm after psalm, you see a person who believes he is the dearly beloved child of God. He knows he's loved. Dads, we get the chance to help our kids see in themselves what they do not see in themselves. Let me give you another. Dad's responsible for the placement of the home temperature. (laughs) Yeah, it's in the Bible. I'm serious. (laughs) So, like, at home, we just bought one of those fancy smart thermostats, and Kim truly believes I did this, so she can't figure it out. Because when it had a little knob and a number, she could do it, but now she doesn't have a clue. And so she kind of like, this was all a plot, wasn't it? Dad, you're responsible for the placement of the home temperature. But by home temperature, I'm not talking about the thermostat. I'm talking about the mood. When Dad shows up, what happens to the mood of the house? One of the things I loved about Dave Fry is that when that man walked into the house, the party began. He'd walk into the house and all the kids and all the family would go to the kitchen instead of going to their room to wait to see who came home. I got to admit, the first few times it happened, I thought, this family's weird. You You don't go to the kitchen when the dad gets home. You wait to see who shows up. It was always the same. Always the same beautiful, sweet spirit that says, party begins now. What temperature, what climate are you setting in your home? For the climate center, I couldn't help but think of Joseph in the Bible. (laughs) Protestants overlook Joseph a bit too much. What a tremendous man. What a tremendous man Joseph was. He doesn't say a word in the Bible. But his actions speak volumes. Joseph was steady as she goes. Right? Right? I mean, he finds out that the woman he's engaged to is going to have someone else's child, and then she comes up with this story. Well, it's not a human baby. It's from God. Okay, fine. And, and, he, and he just says, I'll tell you what. Let's just end this privately. He doesn't humiliate her. He doesn't, he doesn't go out of her way to make a scene. And when the angel says, no, seriously, it's a child's from God, he says, fine, let's get married. They go to this village. They can't find a place to stay. Well, We'll make the barn work. Steady, 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 steady. What kind of temperature are you setting in your home? Our our mood sets the mood. And our view influences the perception of everyone else in the room. Do do they think we're okay or do they they think we're about to crash and burn? It depends on us. Finally, we are the provider of life-giving words. And for this, I think of God in heaven speaking to Jesus. 
You know, the day Jesus got baptized, he was basically saying to God, to, to God the Father, I'm ready to take this thing public. I'm ready to let everyone know that I am here to do the will of him who sent me. And Jesus is dunked under the water by John the Baptist, and he's brought back up out of the water, and a voice comes from heaven. And you know, every time I quote it, I quote it as, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then I look at the book of Luke yesterday, and this is the way Luke words it. And I looked at it in multiple translations to make sure it wasn't messed up. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father said to his son, you are the son I love. And I'm pleased with you. One translation says, you bring me great joy. Do your kids know that you are a beloved child? And joy oozes from me because of you. I know some of us, we're sparing, we're sparing with the words because we're afraid the kid will get a big head. For crying aloud, let the head grow. Just boom, let it explode off their shoulders. Let them know that there is one person in the world that loves them beyond measure because I promise you the world does not love them much at all. Now, some of you, you know, your kid is like 28 or 26 or soon to be 21, and you're thinking it's too late. Are you alive? Are your lungs moving, and is there this air coming in and out of your nose? Or today, your mouth. I know, allergies. Anyway, if you're alive, there's still time. There's still time to say, this is who I am, and this is who our family is. There's still time to touch in a way that expresses love. There's still time to give the affirming words. There's still time to set a temperature that is a godly temperature. There's still time. It's never too late. One of the ways we can give life-giving words is through written notes. When's the, la when's the last time you wrote a note to your child? Put it in the lunch, left it under the pillow, Sent it by mail. Send a note, affirming words. So I thought I'd close this morning with a prayer for fathers. And then I found a great one on video. And I think video prayers count, right? They were said at some point. So this is for the dads. Take it to heart. Now, as you go into your world, may you love your children like God loves his children. May you find your identity in being a son of the only perfect father. May you make it possible, make it impossible for your daughters to ever find a husband as good as their dad. May you teach your children that their mother is the most beautiful woman alive. She's really pretty. May you risk more, worry less, and play hard. May you lead your family not as a king, but as a servant who protects their hearts, protects their hearts. 
little things. Say little things. And finally. And finally. May you lay down your life for the family. And may you introduce them to God. To a God that's already done that exact thing. We hope that you have a great day today. Great day today. Have a great day today. Happy Father's Day. 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 We'll see you. Father, it's who you are, it's who you are.